Okay, so to start off, I want to share this quick story with you. Um, some of you may have heard some of this before, but let's just roll with it, pretend it's all new. When I first came to this church, um, well, I take that back. I was going as a student kind of off and on for a couple of years, but when I first really came here to plug in to this church, I was about 20 years old, and I was coming with my dad. My dad was a Bible study teacher here, um, and I loved hearing him teach. It was great. And I was kind of in a season where I was transitioning from a wild life, trying to transition into a life honoring the Lord, but I was kind of in the middle. Anybody been there? Maybe you're there now. All right. And so that was me, and so I was going to church with him, and it was all right. And then one day, one of the ladies that was on staff there, I won't say her name, Holly Robodeau, and she... She called me and she said, hey, listen, I know you've been coming to the class. She was in there too. I know you've been coming with your dad and all that, but I really want you to come check out the college slash singles ministry that we have here. And I thought, you know, it doesn't hurt anyone to try something once. Okay, I'll give it a shot. So I went, and to be perfectly honest, they were, they were doing a really good job with what they had. But when I walked in in the season of life that I was in, at the age I was in, and with the issues that I had... I didn't like a single thing about it. There was about six of them there. That's where this ministry started from, by the way, six people. There were about six of them there. Uh, the couple that were teaching, they were fantastic people, but they were just older, and I really wanted to hear from someone kind of closer to my age, even just a little bit. And so that rubbed me the wrong way, and then I sat down in the circle, six people. There's only six of us, all right? Just six, just six. You get the picture? Just six. And no one said a word to me. And I thought, man, I'm out of, this is, I'm never coming back to this place. And so the next day she called and said, hey, what did you think? And I said, well, let me just tell you, again, different season of life. Let me tell you what I thought. And I began to just list off all of the problems that I had found with this class and all the things and da, da, da. And then she said, okay, well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I just want to let you know, I'm going to call the director of the class and I'm going to let him know all of these things you've listed because I want them to improve. And I thought, oh, okay, great, hung up, never going that place again. Matter of fact, may not ever go to that church again because what have I just done? Now, here's what's funny. Not but maybe two or three weeks later, she called me back. And she said, you know what? We listened to your feedback, and here's what we want to propose. Instead of letting you talk about it, we want to give you a chance to step in and fix it. Now, for me, in the season of life that I was in, wasn't quite keen on the idea immediately, but as I let that wash over me, uh, what happened in that moment was the beginning of a radical life change in, in where I was headed in my direction in life. Because someone said, you know what? What are you doing? What can you do? What will you do? Tonight, as we continue in this series on Exodus, we land in a really cool moment where as I was reading and, and studying, I came across one principle that had to do with leadership, and I thought, oh, that'll be great. And then I kept going, and I found another one, and I found another one, and I said, okay, wait a minute. We're going to flip the script for a minute. This just needs to be a talk on leadership because this particular chapter is going to help you and I deal with a lot of stuff. Now, some of you may go, well, I'm not a leader. I don't even know what that really means. Here's what I'm going to argue with you. That if you're not leading in this moment, there's probably a place that you could be, but here's an absolute guarantee. Every single one of you in this room, you will lead in some capacity before you leave this earth. 
whether it's your family, it's your job, a combination of both, it's just a peer group that you're leading, it's here at the church, there's so many of you doing that already, there are opportunities all over the place, and I think too often people just look at it and go, oh, I could never do that, and all we do is the same thing I did in that little corner making fun of all the things I didn't like, instead of stepping in saying, hey, how can I be a part of helping this get better? And so I hope that tonight we'll just encourage you and maybe charge you up. Some of you are already serving in different areas, your job, maybe here at the church. And I hope it'll just encourage you to do that better and help you find some ways to do that. Others of you, I hope it'll wake you up like a shot of caffeine that you might see, hey, there's something in front of me. If I'll just look hard enough, maybe there's something the Lord wants me to do. And that's what I hope we'll do. So let's go. We'll jump in. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 18 tonight. That's going to be our focus. Now, just a real quick catch up, Moses and his brother Aaron, they've been on a long, long journey. And they have led the people through a lot of stuff. They've led them eventually through the Red Sea. They've gotten them to the other side and they are making their way to the promised land. There's a, there's a bit of, of a dialogue here, if you will, on where this particular chapter actually landed in the story of Moses. But we're just gonna kind of pick it up where it's at. But regardless of where they are, they are moving toward the end of this long journey. They're not there yet, but they're moving toward the end. And God is gonna open up a conversation between Moses and his father-in-law Jethro that I think is going to enlighten us on how we can be better leaders or maybe even start today. Now, it's really cool. Today, unlike a normal Baptist message, I have seven points. All right, now, normally you're supposed to have three. I don't follow any Baptist rules, so I normally don't do any of that. Um, but seven tonight, now here's what's really cool about seven. Don't take this too far. It's not theological. It's just for fun. That's the number of completion, so maybe it's possible that tonight one of you, maybe just one, I'll settle my, set my bar low, is going to walk out of here feeling a little bit more completed as a leader by seeing some of these things. Now that was me stretching it a little bit. Let's jump in. Seven points. We're going to start with number one before we even get to the text. Here's what it is. Great leaders see success as a mile marker rather than the finish line. Great leaders see success as a mile marker rather than the finish line. Now let's look at our story in Exodus for a minute. Do you remember all the way back in the beginning, Moses was camping out as a shepherd before any of the story of Exodus minus his birth really took place. He was probably thinking he was retired, he was done, he had done his part, he had made his attempt, it had failed, and so he was just gonna spend the rest of his days hanging out with the family, and God had other plans. Great leaders see success as a mile marker rather than the finish line. So what happens with many leaders is they accomplish something great, or maybe even something small in your own business. You accomplish a task at work, and then all of a sudden you go on cruise control because you did it. You did the thing. You accomplished the task. You completed whatever thing that seemed impossible. Maybe for some of you it was just school. You were just trying to make it through this year. You were just trying to graduate college, and now you have it. You're on cruise control, buddy. You better wake up. All right? The road's ending. No, I'm just kidding. But there's so much here to see because what happens so often is we see a little bit of success, and if we're not careful, we go on cruise control. Now, why is that important for this? Well, because what we're going to see is if you think about it, Moses has completed a whole section of his life leading his people out, if not to the promised land, very close. And he could have just settled and said, I have done what people will read about for thousands of years. We're doing that right now. I could be done. 
Yet God's going to show us that Moses, even when they had finally got to this particular destination, he was still working, serving the Lord and fulfilling his calling. And what I want to encourage you as young people right now before we go any further is I don't want you to see just a little bit of success and say, man, I did something great, I'm done. Oftentimes, it's just the launching pad, or if you will, the mile marker in a long race that God is continuing through. The finish line is either the day we pass away or the day the Lord returns. That's got to be our view. Think about it. If not, what would happen? As soon as you retire from your job, you'll be done, right? Hanging out at a beach house in some foreign ID in Tahiti. I don't even know where you're going to go, and you don't want to talk to the world. And, and though maybe some of you might do that for a season, that's fine. But the reality is, man, until we're dead, God's not done with us. So just because our school time ended doesn't mean he's done. Just because our career may come to an end down the road doesn't mean he's done. Just because maybe some of you are going to have kids, some of you aren't ready, slow down, wait until you're ready. Because I don't want to see you raise kids yet. I just want to encourage you with love there. No, I'm kidding. But some of you are going to have kids, and those kids are going to grow up, and then they're going to move out, and you're going to be like, whoo, done. See you later. I'll maybe at Christmas I'll be around. And God's saying, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, there's so much more for you to do. It's just going to look different. It's a new season for you. And so what I don't want you to do is early in your life begin preparing yourself in this way. To say, hey, after I just finish this, if I could just finish this, if I could just finish this, I'll be done. But rather, let's see life as a long race that until the end, we're finishing strong. Here's the second thing. Great leaders live out their calling. Great leaders live out their calling. Let's look at verse 1, chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian. Basically, you can think of that as an Old Testament pastor, if you want to just kind of get an easy way to look at that. Moses' father-in-law heard of all, the, all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, here's what we're seeing. Word spread quickly about what God had done through Moses, all right? And, and if you've been here for even a number of weeks, you have seen the miraculous things that God has been doing week after week or moment after moment in this story, and it has been incredible. And so word is spreading that Moses has led these people out, and his father-in-law, Jethro, hears about this, and he's taking it in, and here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. Moses didn't go out there trying to be famous Moses, Moses didn't go out trying to accomplish something great. Do you remember early on what Moses was trying to do? He was trying to get out of it. He was trying to do anything he could. He had excuse after excuse after excuse of why he couldn't do it, why he wasn't qualified, why he wasn't the right guy for the job, how he didn't have the strength, how he didn't trust the Lord. That was a big part of what we talked about. Yet all the way through, what Moses did, even though he was hesitant and even though he had issues and even though he, he doubted oftentimes, he took one step after another. He lived out the calling that was in front of him, not focused on being famous, not focused on finishing some great task, but simply taking one step at a time. And as he did that, look what the Lord did. And for so many people, they're always looking for the, and look, as, as this young generation, we're looking for the great, like I want to impact the world. Have you ever thought that? I want to make a difference in the world, and that's fantastic. But sometimes we aim so high that there's, there's no path to get there. 
We just are dreaming about something, not taking the one step at a time to get us closer to that goal. Never should we worry about trying to be famous or, or build the greatest business in the world or whatever it might be, but rather we should say, Lord, what would you have me do? I'll take one step at a time and I'm gonna trust you all the way through. And then we let the Lord work. And that's exactly what happened with Moses. Listen, this goes for all engineers, teachers, students, business owners, leaders in the church, mothers, parents, wherever you're at, these things are for you. One step at a time. For a parent, you could say, I want to raise great kids. And if you just dream about that, it's never going to happen because kids need a lot of disciplining. Trust me, I have one. They're, they're a work in progress. But if you take it one day at a time, you can do this. I want to be great in my company. Well, you can have that dream all day long, but if you'll put your feet to the fire, get in there and work and do one day, one task at a time with everything you have, what waits for you on the side will be much more, much better, much more realistic than the dream of something great, never taking any steps moving in that direction. Does that make sense? And it's so important. We've got to simply focus on living out our calling. One step at a time, trusting the Lord. And this is exactly what Moses did. And notice Moses doesn't stop here. Moses could have come home and retired and been done because he had done something great and everybody heard about it. But Moses isn't going to do that. He's going to keep going. One other thing I thought this was kind of funny. I was, we've been traveling a lot lately and I went to Bucky's here recently. How many of you have been to Bucky's before? Okay, if you didn't know what that is, ask your neighbor. Um, so Bucky's, what is Bucky's famous for? Say that again. The bathrooms. Pause for a minute. Tell me their business plan wasn't, let's get a gas station that has incredible bathrooms. That'll change the world. What did they do? They simply found a need. They met that need with excellence. And now every one of you jokers buy your Slurpee from Bucky's just because they got a restroom that's clean. Do you see how this works? Now I'm sure somewhere in the line Bucky's dreamed of something big, but the reality is they found one thing and they mastered the one thing. And by mastering the one thing, it put them in a place unlike anyone else. You see how this works? Realistically, it's one step at a time letting the Lord work. And I want to say one more thing. Be careful, please be careful, that your calling and your identity are not the same thing. They are connected loosely, absolutely, but they are not the same thing. Your calling is an activity or an assignment that God's going to give you, and that's going to change a little bit throughout the years. But your identity, though loosely connected to not, is not wrapped up in that. If you want to be a pastor one day, your identity is not wrapped up in that. Your identity is wrapped up in being a Christian, a son of God. If you want to be a great singer or a rapper, your identity is not wrapped up in the music. Your identity is wrapped up in the calling. But your identity is wrapped up in you as a Christian, then you as a, a son or a daughter of God. And if your identity is there, then all these other things will happen and fall into place. And you see how this works? It's so important because then what happens is some people get so wrapped up in their, their vocation as their calling and their identity that if their vocation suffers, they fall apart. Especially for those of you going into the oil field or already there, listen, if your identity is wrapped up in that, you're going to have a long road ahead of you because oil pretty much looks like this. 
And so some years you're going to go, I am living the dream, my life is perfect. And then others are going to be, I am crushed, I am destroyed, I can't see straight. But if our identity is wrapped up in being a child of God and trusting that it is God that provides and leads the way, we can lose our job. We can go through a season of stress. We can go through a season of all the stuff that's not good, but our life is not destroyed because it's simply a calling, an assignment, a temporary assignment that God's given us rather than who we are. This is so important. And so we as Christians, God is calling us to live out our identity, to strive one step at a time, not trying to be something great, just trying to honor the Lord the best we can, and the rest will fall into place. Number three, great leaders nurture healthy rhythms. Great leaders nurture healthy rhythms. Now, i got to be honest with you. This is one that I should not be talking about, just being honest with you. Okay, in fact, even studying for this, I found some things that are going to be really helpful for me, so I hope they're going to be helpful for you, because in all of this, you're going to find at least one or two of these, you go, oh man, I, I, I need to work on that one, yep, and this is mine. Let's read the verses for a second, Chapter, verse 2 through verse 7. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. By the way, he sent them home most likely to protect them from the plagues and all the unknown that was happening around Egypt. So Moses had sent his family away in hopes that they would be safe. So he comes to her with her two sons. One's name was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the other is the name Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh, verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, the word was, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, and coming to you with your wife and your two sons, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. Notice the honor. Remember, who's Moses? In the moment, Moses is seen as one of the greatest Israelites ever walked because he led their people to freedom. Yet Moses steps in front of his father-in-law. What does he do? Now, we don't bow. That's a different cultural thing now. But he showed him the sign or honor of respect. What a marvelous sign. No matter how big you get, we are always to honor the people that have brought us up and everyone around us because even though you may be something, you're no better than anybody else. That was free. You can write that down later. Verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Do you notice what happened? In the midst of all that was happening with Moses, he pulled away to spend some time with his family. Simple as that. He locked away. He sent his kids away to be protected. When they came back, he dropped whatever he was doing, as best we can tell, and he went away into the tent. He went to spend time with his family. Great leaders. Great leaders nurture healthy rhythms in life. And great leaders, listen, if you are successful, you will always be tempted to work yourself to the bone. And you will never stop because you feel this unhealthy desire to fulfill everything that's in front of you. Listen, I, I'm preaching to myself here. But great leaders understand that that is not healthy nor right or most effective in their life as a leader or as a person. This is very important. So what does it look like to have a healthy rhythm? Well, I don't have some, some firm statement for you, but I would say this. If you think about it in three ways, worship, work, and rest. Worship, work, and rest. That kind of defines what I think are the three areas. Worship, our work, and our rest, all right? Let's talk about worship first. Our worship is part, is this time together. Be careful that this isn't the only time you spend with the Lord because you're gonna miss out on a huge 
opportunity to hear from the Lord as he directs you in life. Ideally, we should be worshiping God every day, whether that's reading, singing, combination of both, of praying, of pulling away, but also coming to church to gather with the community, hanging out with other believers. We call that fellowship. All of those wrapped in together are our worship to God. Even, even service would fall into that category. And so all of these things are part of our worship, but that's got to be part of your life. If it's not, let's just pull back to the moments when you spend alone with God. If your life isn't centered around a life of worship, when you seek direction from God, you're not going to recognize his voice because you don't spend that much time with him. But oh, the Christian that spends time with the Lord daily and has learned to recognize his voice and to see how he works and opens him or herself up to what the Lord is doing around them, they are so more effective and much easier able to listen to the things that God is saying for them to do. Effective leaders spend time with the Lord and it's the Lord navigating them, not their own desires. That is so vital and so our worship. And then we have our work. That's your job. That's your career. For some of you, that's your schooling right now. For some of you, it may be raising kids and you're not working. Whatever that is, that's your work. We give it everything we have, 100% of who we are. We always want to do the best. We want to honor the Lord and represent the Lord well. Listen, if you work at your job and you are not one of the best employees, you may not always be the best. But if you're not one of the best, there's a good chance you're not bringing glory to God. Because being one of the best is not about having the most talent. It's typically the people that simply work the hardest and are focused in on what matters. This is how we represent the Lord in the workplace. We're not a part of all the gossipy conversations. We're not a part of the laziness or the cheating or the cutting hours or doing all that nonsense. But we work hard, we are respectful, and we honor the Lord by doing that. It is a great witness tool in your workplace and also in your school. Listen, if you make all bad grades, you either need to get out of school. Please be careful with that. Don't go tell your parents I told you to quit school. But you either need to get out of school or you need to realign what you're doing. Because it's not a good witness if you're barely hanging on. All right? We are to step in, give everything we have, but that's our work. And then we have our rest. This is the fun part. It's rest, so it is some sleeping, but don't think this is sleeping all day long because that's not really effective. In fact, you may notice you actually feel worse when that's over than you did when you started, right? Rest is a combination of sleeping. It's a combination of recreation, time with family, time with friends. And you go, well, I do that already. Well, I'll promise you this. The older you get, the more you do, the harder it is to do that. And so if you start wiring yourself now to make these three areas priorities in your life, it will really be effective and prepare you better for what's coming in the future. Now, this is what I came across that I thought was really great. Think about your life having margins or space in your life. As you look at your life, there needs to be margins in between, space in between the things that you are doing. Watch what could happen. Margins in business create profits. When we have space, when we've been looking carefully and we've carved off time to be intentional and to be careful, those are the business leaders that make a difference. For instance, Bucky's took a minute to think about a need they found the need, they met the need by creating space and not just going with the flow and just doing what everyone else is doing. They created space to think and to process. They found something that no one else had found. Margins in families create memories. 
If you're so busy that you can't spend time with your family, there's a pretty good chance that you don't have a lot of memories with your family because you're not spending a lot of time with them. But when we create space around our families, we open up opportunities for incredible moments to take place, even the little ones that become memories. Many of your best memories with your family are not the big family reunion that everybody went on, but the little thing when dad took you outside and you shot the basketball for a little bit longer than normal and you never forgot that. When we create margins or when we create space in our families, it helps us to create memories. Margins in our personal finance help us to create generosity. If we don't take care of our money and we have no money, we're constantly going paycheck to paycheck. When an opportunity comes for you to be generous, it'll be really hard to do because you haven't created that space around you to be able to do that. Margins in friendships create significance. If you have a bunch of friends but you're too busy to be around them, that relationship typically is not very significant. Because typically it takes two. When you give and they give, that's what really makes the relationship come to life. When we don't make time for those, we lose some of the significance. And then finally, margin in our own lives just creates opportunities. It creates opportunities. Think about this. You're running from place to place. You're running out of time, maybe even running late. You're racing down, you parked your car, and you're running into whatever it is, we'll just say it's a store, it's a big parking lot, and you see a lady that's struggling, and you would love to help, but you just don't have time to help, so you just keep on moving. Now, what you missed there, we won't look into it too much, but you might have missed an opportunity to not only help someone that needed help, but also to show them the love of Christ that might grab their attention, that they may look at you and say, what are you at 21 stopping to help this old lady for? And as you begin to talk, who knows if a door might open that you might share the gospel. You see how this works? But when we're so busy and we're running from place to place and we haven't created space or margins around these areas, we miss opportunities in life. And so great leaders nurture healthy rhythms. It will be a great challenge. I can stand here in front of you and attest to that. It will be a great challenge, but it will be worth it. And it needs to be a priority, just like Moses, pulling away to be with his family. Number four, great leaders are transparent with others. Look at what happens in our story, verse eight. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. Notice this. All the hardships that came upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel. They ate bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. This is really, really cool. Do you notice what Jethro did? He was celebrating with Moses. It said he celebrated all the things that God had done. Listen, here's a side note. I couldn't add another one because it would have made eight, not seven, and I didn't want to butcher what I said at the beginning. But if you wanted an extra one that's just for free, underline, great leaders celebrate others' accomplishments. Man, look at how Jethro didn't go, I wish I had been the one that got to do that, and everyone in Israel would have been talking about me, but I'm the father-in-law. I should have been the one. No, he said he rejoiced with Moses at what the Lord had done in his life. How do you do with that? Do you do that now? When you pray, 
Is it just about you, Lord, this is what I need. I need a new car. I need a new job. Please do something to my boss. Maybe don't take him out, but just make him be different. Lord, and it's all about me, me, me. Rather, do you stop for a minute and look around and say, Lord, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for what you're doing in Zach's life. Thank you for what you're doing in Tyler's life. Thank you for what you're doing in Sarah's life. Lord, I, I want to I see more of that. Help me to support them. How can I come alongside of them? How can I encourage Oh, it's a, we, we have a different sense of humility when we pray for other people. We've got to celebrate what others are doing, and it'll break down whatever arrogance you have real quickly, real quickly. Moses was reminded himself, this is kind of cool, Moses reminded himself of those great victories that God had shown him as he shared with Jethro. It's encouraging, we've talked about this in weeks past, to remember the things God's done in your life and to celebrate those. And for Moses, he got to encourage. But look what happened. Moses not only grew the faith, but he also taught Jethro through his experience. And this is marvelous. When we talk, when we're transparent about what God's doing in our life, both the good and the bad. Remember it said the hardships. Do you remember all the stuff with Moses? There wasn't a whole lot there at the beginning he was real proud of. I mean, I tried to say no, I had this excuse and this excuse and this excuse. But yet he opened transparently and he shared with Jethro all the way through. I saw Jethro would see the whole story and the magnificence of God. But what does it say after he did that? Jethro said, blessed be the Lord has delivered you out of the hands of Egypt and out of the hands of Pharaoh and has delivered the people under the hands of Egypt. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. What did Moses do? He encouraged Jethro's faith. He reminded Jethro. He gave confidence to Jethro of who God is and what he can do. By looking into Moses' life, his own life was encouraged. When we as leaders are transparent, the good and the bad, we help teach other people from our experiences, but we also help grow people's faith by encouraging them to see what has happened. Was it encouraging to think that when I got here there were six people and I was an angry 20-year-old and now here we sit with multiple classes and God is doing something incredible all because I didn't do anything great. I just said, okay, I'll do it. These are the things that encourage us. Hopefully it gives you hope. I was 20 years old. What are you doing at 20? What has God called you to do? What have you been pushing off? Are you ready to step up? Because I'm telling you, I'm a walking testament that God will do something with you if you'll give him a chance. See, I hope that's encouraging. That's not arrogant or boastful. Don't take it that way. I want to encourage you. I want you to see hope. This is what happens when we're transparent and we encourage each other and we talk about the good and the bad. And I hope you see, I'm trying to be transparent with you. I share with you the good, but I also share with you the bad. And some of you wonder, why is that guy standing up there sometimes? I get it. But the reality is, we learn from all. Some of my best lessons in life, I won't say from who, I'll just say this. My best lessons in life have honestly been not by watching people do it right, but watching people do it wrong and making notes to say, I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to make those mistakes or teach me so I don't. Let me learn from his or her experience so I don't follow in the same footsteps. But when we're transparent, those doors open and those opportunities are made available. And then what did they do? They stopped and they worshiped. They worshiped, right? We talked about this. But let me just encourage you. Don't walk in these doors every week having not thought about what it is you want to specifically worship God for. 
there is always something in your life that you can lift up to the Lord. Man, teachers, when school was over, you should have ran in these doors, front row, Lord Jesus, it is on. Thank you, thank you that I didn't kill any kids, that I still have a job next year, and I have the whole summer. How did y'all even get that? That's unbelievable. Anyways, thank you, Lord Jesus. I mean, that's what it should be like. Or you get with your friends and say, hey, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate what's happened. Our friend Coulter's coming back soon. Our missionary across the other side of the world. Man, we should be coming together to celebrate what God's doing out there and to rejoice. But if we don't talk about these things, if we don't get together and say, hey, let's not just come and sing a few songs and see how good the band is. Let's worship God because he's worthy. Oh, when we do this, it changes everything. And they stopped. And they worshiped God for all he had done. Let's move quickly so we can be done. Number five, great leaders are committed to completion. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Now, let's understand what's happening here. Moses would serve as the judge. What that would mean is that any of the issues, the disagreements, the questions would be brought before Moses, and Moses would help the people make the best decision based on what the Lord was calling them to do. And so from morning until evening, Moses sat there and listened to story or question or disagreement after disagreement, trying to help the people fulfill. Now, we're going to see quickly that he needed a better strategy. But in those moments, Moses went from beginning to end, and he stayed faithful to complete. This is a really big thing because we have, listen, our young generation, our young people, which the world always talks negatively about us, but that's okay. We will stand strong. The reality is, though, Young people have a hard time finishing. Just look at college. It used to be four years was the norm. Now four years, and you're like a goodie, Eddie. It's amazing how quickly things change. It used to be that people were not only out of their parents' home, they were married by the time they were in their early 20s. Now, if you move out before your early 20s, man, you're really getting it done. This is great. I mean, it's amazing how things have changed. And what I just want to encourage you, implore you, beg you, is that you wouldn't fall into this trap. That we would work hard, but we would make goals and we would get to the finish line. If you're a creative in this room, art, design, music, whatever it is, you're the worst. Trust me, I know, because I'm right there with you. You are the worst. You procrastinate. I'm going to get it done one day. Or you just show up and we'll just wing it and we'll figure it out. Listen, that is not the way for us to be effective. We've got to complete. We've got to complete. One of the great lessons I've learned as a creative myself is if I don't set a goal and I don't get that video or that image done, I will never do it. But if I set a goal and I work until I meet that goal or I complete the task, not only did I do what I was supposed to do, but I feel good. I don't feel stressed out and overwhelmed because something's hanging over my head. So please, don't fall into that trap. Let's be a generation that works all the way through to completion, whatever the task is at hand. Number six, we're almost there, just two more. Great leaders, listen, confirm, and apply wisdom from others. Hallelujah, amen. Right? Yeah, why y'all so quiet? I don't get it. You should love this. Don't you love it when someone comes up and tells you what's wrong with you? It should motivate you. You should go, give me some more. I want to be a better man, a better woman. Tell me everything you can. Rip me apart. Do it with a little more love. But let me know because this is how I grow. 
This is how I become wise. Show me. Look what happens. Verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you are doing for these people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me and inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. Now, some of you are going, say that to me. Say that to me. Let me tell you, father-in-law, all right, dad, you think you know it all? Trust me, I'm a grown man. I hit 22 this year. I know everything I need to know. Don't you tell me that what I'm doing is not good. Then he goes on, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the very thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. He's going to train them basically. He says, I want you to teach them and to train them. But then in 21, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. Our government officials need to read this. And place that people, and place such men over the people as chiefs of, notice this, thousands of hundreds of fifties and of tens. And let them judge the people all at times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and you will bear the burden with you, or they will bear the burden with you if you do this. God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Whoa, this is great. Not only did he say, check yourself before you wreck yourself, he said, I got a plan. Let me not just tell you what's wrong with you. Some of you need to make note of this. Let me not just tell you what's wrong with you, but let me offer to you a solution that I think will help. Oh, isn't it more received when that happens? Gosh, it makes such a difference. You got a problem, tell me what to do. Otherwise, get out the way. Listen, when we come with a solution, though, this advice, this is marvelous advice. What does he say? Find some good men and train them up. Teach them. Prepare them. And then guess what? Send them out. Let them go. Let them be an extension of you. And it says thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Some of them are going to have really heavy responsibilities. Others are going to be light. But all are going to be valuable because all of them help your ministry to extend, to be further, and to be more effective. And there is a culture around that says, man, if you just do it yourself, right, no one else is going to do it like you do, so just do it yourself, right? At times, there's some truth to that statement, but that statement simply just identifies that you don't know how to raise up leaders. When we train people well, when we get the picture that I can't do this alone, or if I can do it alone, I am not near as effective if I will find good people around me and help them. Here's what happens. Here's reality check for those of you working. You look around the office... And you don't bother helping each other get better at your job because there's a little bit of competition going on. Or there's a chance they might step in my place later on. I don't, I don't want that, so I'm going to make sure I stay just above. Listen, when we 
humble ourselves, trust God by doing the right thing, and we work hard to build each other, I'll tell you what happens. Not only does your team get better, the company gets better. Not only does your team of teachers get better, but your school gets better. Because now it's not just one teacher doing their job really well. It's a team of teachers doing their job really well. Your Bible study class, your small group, your project, whatever ministry you're working on, the, the whole ministry gets better because everybody jumped in together. But when we take all of it on ourselves, you know what happens? We deprive other people of opportunities to serve. Look at all these able men that he was going to be able to find and to bring up and to let them get out there and serve because he gave them an opportunity. Some of you may not be in a place right now where this is affected, but I want to encourage you to tuck this deep in your heart because this will change the way you work, serve the Lord, or raise your family. This is an incredible tool that we've got to hold on to and learn how it operates. And one thing I want to note about this, when he came to give the, the critique, he did it nicely by giving a solution, but sometimes people are going to tell you stuff that's just flat out mean, and the natural human reaction is to just get angry and either want to turn back on them and point out the five things wrong with them or to just ignore it, and I want to give you some advice. There have been moments, and it's not every time, but there have been moments that people that were angry at me said something very uh, vicious, but at the heart of what they were saying, there was some truth there. They just didn't know how to articulate it. So I want to encourage you to be careful. We don't want to receive that kind of criticism. It doesn't really encourage us. But if we can look through the imperfections of the people and find the root of it, it will help us become better leaders and better people if we're willing to listen. Don't be so cut off just because they didn't speak to you the way Jethro did. Make sure that you always, at least with a little bit, listen to what they're saying, process it, and then if it's not for you, you let it go. But if you come across good wisdom, whether it was aggressive or whether it was brought to you kindly or with a solution, if we listen and let it wash over us, these are the things that shape us and make us into the men and women God's called us to be. God uses the people around us to make us better. Don't cut that off. Great leaders, listen Confirm if it's something worth applying, and if it is, apply wisdom so that they can be a great leader. And the last final one, this is it, number seven. We already kind of hit on it. Great leaders find power in raising up other leaders. Look at 24 through 26, last piece. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter, they decided on themselves. Moses realized from Jethro's advice that if he would extend the opportunity for people to, see, to serve, he will extend his ministry. And folks, we've got to learn the same thing. This is really interesting. I read this this week. One generation's ceiling is often another generation's floor. This is how we make progress. Raising up leaders around you. Raising up people around you, it's going to be a monumental part. I know for some of you it's not quite there yet and that's something down the road. But if you start thinking about it now, you start processing this now, it will be very effective. Um, two weekends ago, I'll close with this. Two weekends ago, I think it was two weekends ago, we opened up our new project over in the Williams house, all the Bible study classes. It's been a really great thing. But on that particular weekend, uh, Sarah and I had to go out of town. And, um, and I was really frustrated because I wanted to be here. 
Plus, there were a lot of things I was afraid we weren't going to be able to get done because I would have just done them myself. And so I was really anxious. But because I knew I wasn't going to be here, I had to work really hard to rally a bunch of you to come together and then make this thing happen. And can I tell you, it was incredible. And it actually was a really important moment in my leadership here at this church because I was reminded that when I just pass things off and prepare the people with what they have to do and then pass it off and let them go, we are far more effective. And it was so encouraging. There were four directors, there were four teachers, and there were countless other people jumping in to serve and to help and do everything they could. And it was a marvelous weekend, and I wasn't even in the same state. And I'm going to tell you, it was encouraging, it was humbling, but I want to show you that every moment we're going through, every opportunity is an opportunity for us to learn. I could have whined, oh, why can't I be there? They can't handle it. Oh, or I could have said, hey, here's what it is. Let's figure this out and go. And I look back and I go, man, it was better than if I would have been there. This is awesome. I hope this is encouraging. I know some of you are going, I don't know about all this. I'm not there yet. Listen, all of us are going to be called to lead. Use these things to help yourself begin to be prepared. For those of you that aren't, man, I hope this launches you into really searching and discovering. What is God doing with my life? What does he want to do? For those of you that are serving, I hope these few things will help you just take one step further as you strive to be the best leader that you possibly can be. But all of you will lead, whether it's ministry or a family or a job or all the many things in between. Let's be found faithful as we serve the Lord and honor him as we work really hard to do the very best we can.